somebody physically checking up on you, that human connection, I think is just integral. And can it be replaced? Sure. Is it going to be as good? I don't think so. I don't think it'll ever be as good as having a person in there to treat patients. Welcome to the Moving Healthcare Forward podcast, where I speak with leaders in the healthcare space to address the challenges facing everyday people, especially our most vulnerable. My name is Dr. Steve Landers. I'm the president and CEO of VNA Health Group, a mission-based, all-inclusive healthcare nonprofit. I'm also a certified family doctor and geriatrician. So I fuse together my experience in geriatric medicine, home health and palliative care with what I see as my purpose, bridging the gaps in care and finding ways to improve the lives of individuals and caregivers. All right, Emily Keller, welcome to the Moving Healthcare Forward podcast. It is an incredible privilege to get to spend some time with you today. Emily is an advanced registered nurse practitioner within the Parker Advanced Care Institute, visiting physician services at VNA Health Group. Emily has been doing in-home primary care since 2013. So she is a true expert and she's dedicated her career to going into the community, helping people who need primary medical care services, but in their home. Emily also has experience as a registered nurse in the intensive care unit in trauma intensive care and had training in nursing at the College of New Jersey and her master's degree is from Rutgers University. So it is an honor, Emily. Thanks for doing this. Thank you, Dr. Landers. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I started to touch a little bit about your work in home visiting medical care, and it has a soft place in my heart because for a good chunk of my career, I've been involved with providing care in the home. And so I'm just interested to hear just in your own words, what you do and what your job's all about. Absolutely. So my role as a nurse practitioner at Visiting Physician Services, part of the VNA, just like my colleagues who are also nurse practitioners, physician assistants, MDs, we go into patients' home to provide primary health care. I'm very privileged to do that in a setting where we're in their house. We get to see the whole picture, the whole patient. We see, you know, it allows us to see other barriers, other needs that they might have, not just walking into a doctor's office, here are your diagnoses, here are your meds. We really get to see the whole patient, which just helps us to give a more comprehensive visit. And within that visit, we get to do their full medical history, surgical history, full medication list. And so we can really tailor their care plan to fully what their needs are. So you get the closest version of reality, right? And then you see all the other stuff, you know, what's going on with the food and is safety and get to meet the pets. That's incredible. I mean, yeah. as a community and as a state, a country facing a challenge of aging population, right? We're tripling the number of people 85 and older in the next few decades. There's a lot of people that age without much health issues, but usually they'll get to a point where 
you know, there's challenges, right? Serious chronic illness, sometimes cognitive and issues around thinking and memory and mobility. And so we're going to keep having more and more people that want to stay home in the community, but they need medical care and they can't get it if it's really challenging for them to get out. So for people that aren't familiar with the type of work you're doing, someone might be, wow, they're already thinking of family members and friends and neighbors that need this. What's the community like that you're doing most of your work in? Where, What part of the world are you are you out making home visits? You mean physically, like geographically? Yeah. So, so VPS. I, mean, I know you're in New Jersey, but tell yeah, me a, a little bit more about like where you are specifically. Yeah, and I'll admit I do work part time. I have young kids at home, so I absolutely love the flexibility and the autonomy yeah. that I get doing this. So I have a small territory, sort of in the middle of Monmouth County, you know, close to the ocean. I guess that's sort right. of irrelevant, but I so central New Jersey, Monmouth County, a few different towns, not too far from the shore, mm-hmm. and. You're out in the community and, you know, when you do work a full day and you've got a kind of a full patient load, what's that like? How many people might you see in a day of work? And I know you're maneuvering around your work as mom and everything else, but for people doing your type of work, what's a day look like? And so if I have three scheduled, I can add on a fourth or sometimes a fifth. And that certainly takes up a chunk of my day. And luckily my territory is not too big. So I don't have a, a far drive between patients. Not too bad a drive time. Yeah, because mm-hmm. that can be a yeah, weird that, time that, Yeah, that adds to your day. Yeah. And so I also love that I get to see them in person. But even through the pandemic, I was able to visit them in person and have yeah. the equipment that I needed to do that safely. And there's just nothing like being able to get your hands on and eyeballs on a patient to really give them you know, a good exam. So I love being able to do that in person. You know, we have our phones where we're checking emails coming in or labs coming in or things that you need to get back to a patient on, answer their questions, or maybe even collaborate with physical therapy, occupational therapy, might get their requests or phone calls that kind of sprinkle around between the patients. Sure. How long is like one of your visits? Like when you're out in a person's home, how much time do you typically spend with people? I would say it depends on two things. One is the type of visit. If it's my, every time we see a patient, we come up with their care plan and I will schedule my next visit right then and there. Yeah. If I need to come back for a blood pressure check in two, three days, that's going to be a quick visit, you know, maybe 15 minutes, but it's more frequent, obviously. And so it depends on the follow-up. And if it's one of my routine visits where it's, I'll see you next month, see you in two months, and we cover more things, a little more comprehensive it certainly could be up to 45 minutes. Absolutely. Because you're looking again at all these things. You're talking with the spouse, you know, they're filling you in on how the past month or two months have been managing medications or symptoms or side effects, education. Your patients, they they have to love this. I mean, this is so, such a lifesaver when you can't get out and you Mm -hmm. need the medical care. Wow. You touched on a couple of interesting things. So, Obviously, a lot of the core of this, right, is just interviewing people, examining them, making sure that their condition is headed in the right direction and getting their meds right. But you mentioned something about labs and x-rays and stuff. So what, you know, I think a lot of people might be wondering if the doctor and advanced practice nurse see me at home, are they going to be able to do all the stuff that they might need if I was being seen at a facility? Mm-hmm. So what types of things, when you move on to the different diagnostics and technologies, 
what types of things are you able to get done at home? I think our patients are usually pretty impressed by the things, the services that we can offer in home, where we have labs and diagnostic companies that also do a mobile service like we do. And you sort of touched on this earlier, but I don't know if we explicitly said that I think without our service, not just ours as a primary, but the other things we offer, these patients would probably go unseen, untreated, off the radar altogether. So the fact that we can come in and see them and then order things like blood work, we can have a lab come out and they can collect blood samples, stool samples, urine samples, anything like that. If we need an ultrasound or a chest X-ray, and that's, again, ultrasounds of the veins in the legs, the heart, any of the arteries of the abdomen, chest X-rays, which are certainly one of our more common tests that we order, physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy, other things like that we can get in the home. And what would be like, what are the most common medical problems that you're encountering in the type of people that are appropriate for in-home care? What types of health problems do they have that you're spending the most time with them on? So our patients that we see obviously have to be homebound, which means a taxing effort to leave the house. Yeah. So they have some sort of mobility issue. And sometimes that could be more physical, like arthritis, like actual mobility of their extremities, that they have things like congestive heart failure is common, COPD, a lot of kidney issues, not only chronic, but progressive kidney failure, some MS patients, other neurological things, even post-stroke patients who have weakness on one side after after stroke. Really all the chronic cardiovascular disease, pulmonary disease, all types of neurological problems. And of course, because it's such a mobility limited group, often musculoskeletal issues, right? Being from arthritis to history of osteoporosis and fractures and that type of thing. How do you get into this kind of work? It's not the most common job in healthcare, right? There's only a small army of people like you that are out doing this type of work. And it's not necessarily on the radar in our training programs all the time. Only a few times had people come and say, I got into home visitation and home primary care because that was the focus of my training program. How do you end up, Emily Keller, all right, registered nurse and nurse practitioner, how do you end up in this field? I think our 65 and older population is going to double in the next, I think, 40 years as our baby boomers age, and we're going to see a lot more 65 and over and even 85 and older. So I hope our small army gets bigger because we are going to need some more. That's a great question. I knew that I wanted to do primary care, mostly because of my experience in the ICU. It was intense, as the name implies, and educational, and it was wonderful. And I'm so thankful for the experience that I had there and what I learned clinically. But what I learned also about me is where my strengths lie. I just know that I wanted primary care. I wanted to have more time getting to know these patients, more time bedside, and actually getting to know and treat the patient, not just whatever the disease or illness is. And so having that experience shaped and guided my job search process after I'd graduated with my master's. So you knew you were interested in primary care Mm -hmm. and certainly most primary care jobs in New Jersey and in the United States are in some type of office or clinic. There's a location you go to and more and more we've got some sort of carved out types of primary care happening in retail centers and all sorts of places that you could work in primary care. 
And so somehow you'll have to tell me somehow you must have come into contact with Dr. John Salisbury, who was the founder and lead physician for the group at that time, or Alex Binder, who's been the chief operating officer for the program, a colleague or see an ad in the listings. So how did it happen? What actually was the thing that clicked? So (laughs) I have to confess, I graduated, took my exam, passed, found out that I was pregnant with my first and started interviewing and doing the job search process all at once. So some of it may be a little bit blur because everything just happened so quickly. And so I just, I went on a few interviews and you're right. I think I worked at the minute clinic for a hot minute, really. Yeah. And I interviewed at another clinic that was part of a hospital and there was a bit of a commute involved. And my brother-in-law said that the flexibility that you will never regret having the flexibility that you have in a job like I do now. Okay. Yes. And I said, you're right. And I interviewed with Alex, as you said. Yeah. And I will confess, I thought going into a job where not just home care, but you're seeing mainly geriatric patients. I have a few younger, but not too many. And seeing, you know, these few diagnoses that are so common, my concern was that it was going to be boring. Would I see the same patient right. in quotes, over and over again, give the same meds? And I've found it to be the exact opposite. Yeah. Every day is different. Every patient is different. Every patient presents their own challenges and there's always something to learn. So I have not been bored one day in the past, almost 10 years, this year will be 10 years that I've been. So all that, all that variety and the relationships, it sounds like you really found your calling and certainly, you know, from the time that you've put into this and all the accolades from your patients and colleagues, it's quite obvious. Why is this? great work? Like what are the best things? Anything we haven't talked about that you think is important for maybe somebody who's thinking about what's the next move in my career going to be? What are you feeling about the work and what might you say to others that are the best things about your work? Well, I think that's different for every person, every provider. I mean, the field of nursing, there are so many different things you can do. I think it attracts so many different people and kinds of people. It's very diverse. And so for me personally, I like to solve a problem. I mean, who doesn't? And so when a patient presents to you, you can educate them on a diagnosis or even something simple as correcting them on how to take a medication and it just resolves one of their symptoms that's been really bugging them, or you can help them manage a symptom of their disease or even catching an exacerbation of something, you know, where you can see somebody's with congestive heart failure, you can see it sort of, you know, their ankles are swelling or they're a little more short of breath and you can catch that and help them before it becomes a hospitalization because none of our patients want to go to the hospital. That's all they want to do is avoid that. And so just that very simple, immediate gratification of helping somebody is really nice. So much gratitude too, right? I mean, families, they really see the impact of having somebody help them at home. And often they realize that their whole independence or the ability to keep their family intact in the community is on the line, right? And you come and help them with the healthcare needs that they have. And it totally changes their life and how they're thinking about, you know, sometimes what it might've felt like hopeless circumstances, right? And my experience with home visits, I mean, I've had a lot of the same experiences like you have just the bonding with people and, you know, how it's really practical because you can see how people are managing their medical issues a little better than 
when you're in an office. It's interesting being in the community, you see all the seasons and stuff instead of being back in the building, right? And so on the sunny days, it's kind of nice. You get to see the sunshine. On the rainy ones, it's maybe not as nice. But I also find it's like one thing I've been trying to emphasize more to people thinking about working with older people it can be really fun. You meet a lot of really interesting people that are, they just know stuff. They have life experiences that you haven't had. You know, you're often meeting veterans and people that have had successful work careers and have done interesting things. And like, they can teach you stuff. Sometimes funny things happen too. I had a home visit that I'll never forget. And it was just, I laugh about it a little bit in that my patient was, oh, just a wonderful person. And she was in her late nineties. And I was just mostly just worried if she was eating enough. That was really the most important medical issue was if she was eating enough. And when I came and visit with her, I had noticed that she didn't have her dentures in. And I was really just wanted to make sure that she had her dentures and that they fit okay, because I wanted to make sure that she could eat. It seemed that she'd lost some weight and that had me a little concerned. As a geriatric medicine doctor, particularly as our patients get older, just nutrition and making sure that a lot of us in primary care and in our own lives are worried about not eating too much. But when we start to look at elder care, often the concern is more not eating enough and also not getting the right nutrients. Like protein, what have you. And so I'm asking her, where are your dentures? And I saw next to her bed, you know, the thing that holds the dentures. And I said, where are your dentures? She's lady took them. And I said, what? She said, yeah, lady took them. And then I'm like, what lady would take your dentures? And I'm horrified at the moment. And she says, oh, lady, lady's my dog. Lady was the name of the dog. So it, it turned out at some point in the prior couple of days, that the yeah. dog had taken the dentures and ran off with them. Oh my and gosh. So, you know, something had to be done. And I don't remember the details of how we figured it out to help her get back on track. I found the whole thing funny that I didn't understand what she meant it's by who was lady. Yeah, everything. doing the home care. So you could yeah, yeah, but I that. finally got it all figured <laughs> out, right? So yeah, interesting stuff can happen. I mean, you've worked with so many families. Oh my goodness. I mean, in providing visiting medical care. You have any advice or tips? For people, maybe if things aren't going well for them, but they really want to, you know, stay in the community, they've got medical problems or mobility issues, but they're hoping to continue to live in their home. What advice do you have for people in those circumstances or even people that are just healthy and kind of thinking ahead to their quote unquote golden years and want to make sure they're golden and not rotten? I think that's exactly it, Dr. Landers, is the planning ahead and thinking ahead and not waiting until you have that diagnosis or that, you know, mobility issue is to plan ahead. And whether that be financially, setting money aside for, you know, services that you might want in home, home health aids, that's a huge need that our patients have that if they're lower income and they have Medicaid, they'll get some hours. If they're higher income and they can afford it, they'll pay out of pocket. But most of my patients are this middle subset that don't get the home health aid coverage that they really like or that need. Yeah. And so I would so say that planning ahead for the financing of the basics, right? The personal care services. The medical care typically is at least, you know, 80% covered by Medicare for older people. But once you get into what we label in our country as custodial care or long-term care, that is not part of the Medicare program. 
And so you're seeing that in order to stay home, people often need aids and personal care. And then mm-hmm. like, how do you finance that? Because a lot of times yeah. it's out of pocket, right? Unless and you that- qualify for Medicaid and sometimes Medicaid then can help. And to have that, you can't underestimate the value of having a social support, a community around you, because they can fill in. And whether that's knowing your neighbors or if your children are local or family or support system who can help with those things, even just something as simple as transportation. If somebody does have to get out to a specialist and has difficulty doing so, obviously, to have that in place. I have a woman who's legally blind who tries to take a taxi to her cardiologist, but then needs somebody to go with her because she then, once she gets out of the taxi, she needs help, you know, knowing where to go. And so just having that community and that support system around you can be very valuable too. That support system, right. That probably has to go into the decision-making for an individual or a family of whether or not staying in their home will work or maybe exploring other types of housing or you know, senior living makes sense, right? For some, so that they get in the right situation for their own circumstances. Yeah. Do you see a lot or worry a lot about loneliness or isolation, or are you seeing people find ways with their families to get that, not just the basics of life of housing and food and medical, but also in spite of their situations, have happy lives? Absolutely. Loneliness, and that isolation, especially with the pandemic these past yeah. few years, oh, man. has been really hard. And that's one thing I'll admit that I feel a little helpless when it comes to treating these patients and helping them. And that oh. can play a role in, you know, mental health and depression and sometimes diet. And we're getting into nutrition and motivation, everything. Yeah. I'll admit there's no solution that I know of other than, as I said earlier, that support system. If you have those people around you. But there's no, I have so many patients who say they're bored. I ask them if there's anything else they need today. And they said, you have a pill for boredom. I think as an aging community, as a health system, or, you know, really society, we need to think through how to make sure that those broader needs are met beyond just like the medical and the basics, right? How do we make sure that people have a chance to have more meaning in their lives and whether that's through Oh, it could be, you know, so much socialization or the arts or faith or, you know, so many ways maybe to make that better. So, all right, that's a pointer, Emily, for us. We're going to have to put our heads together with our friends and colleagues in doing this work and think about what might be possible. I'm sure from a loneliness standpoint, although obviously you are a highly skilled medical professional, but I'm sure one of the added benefits that the patient's experience is just getting your company. Maybe sometimes you're one of the only people they get to see in a week or a month. And that's got to be be meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about this question the other day, and I don't know about you, Dr. Landers, but just being in this line of work, I think about imagining my golden years, as you say, and, and, you know, what things will be like as I age. And I think what really hits at home for me is thinking at this stage of my life when I am busy and I work and kids and family and it can seem busy and a little hectic, but I feel useful. And then I think about my patients who are sitting there with few interactions, isolation. And I just think they probably don't have this feeling of usefulness, which is very important to the ego, to the self is that you want to be useful and contribute. And you can't do it the same way when you're 90 as you can when you're 30, but is there some way 
to feed that part of ourselves that we need that we can do for these patients, for anybody at that stage of life. Sure thing. I mean, absolutely. I've seen there's when we're talking about people that are homebound and really struggling with their health and function, a lot of the issues that you bring up are so common. And also you do see a lot of people that remain the matriarchs and patriarchs of their families and the impact that they're having, even though their mobility or health in some ways is deteriorating, they're still contributing to the well-being of their families as advisors and sages and in many ways, and often in the multi-generational homes, you see a good dynamic and, you know, occasionally, you know, just through the phones and other things, people are able to have that meaning, but too often it's not enough, right? And it's one of the things limiting their well-being. The I have a friend who does volunteering for Meals on Wheels, and I know it's a totally different type of home care than what we do at Visiting Nurse Association. You know, we're doing so much medical work. And, but even in that, in a couple of our conversations, she's brought up just how she just feels that the most important thing, I mean, the food's important, but that, you know, when she's getting the meals there, just to spend some time and talk and chat. And again, it's not just about helping them. We have so much we could learn. What do you see as the future of this type of work? Obviously, things changed with the pandemic. That was a whole crisis and all sorts of different attempts at how do you deal with this. In some instances, if it really didn't feel safe or it couldn't be done logistically, did some more telehealth visits, you're in the home, and at least the documentation work, you are in the home is being done using some electronic systems. Do you think technology changes what a person like you might do five, 10 years from now? Absolutely. I think technology is going to be a big piece of it, but not all of it. I think, again, just having a visit from that person, getting your hands on the patient, your eyes on the patient, I don't think anything's going to replace that. But technology can be the conduit through which we can access more patients. And even though we're not that we ever stopped in-person visits, our telehealth visits certainly increased through the pandemic. We're kind of back to, I think, somewhat more of a normal in-person visit volume, but telehealth is still playing such a big role. I believe we have one of our docs who does exclusively telehealth, which is great for their clinician like me, who's out there and maybe my day is full, but I want to get to see somebody, she or the on-call or both can do either a telehealth visit or this new service that we have where we send out a nurse and the nurse will go out to see the patient. She can do the exam so we can actually hear the lung sounds, the heart sounds, see the legs, but she brings the technology with her. So she has the tablet or iPad and can FaceTime with the doctor, nurse practitioner, or PA who's on call because our patients either don't have the technology they don't know how to use it. They can't afford it. They just, you know, they don't yeah. have access to that. So yeah. So you're still seeing technology issues, in. right? So I was going to maybe put you on the spot and, you know, just for maybe there's people who are thinking to themselves, wow, I bet we could replace what Emily Keller does or what visiting physician does with telehealth, with virtual services. What would you say to somebody that had that belief? Are, are they onto something or, or they don't really understand what the real needs are? are in the community and what you're doing. What do you think about when you hear something like that? Actually having a physical person in the home. Yeah. I still think, you know, technology can help us, but I still think at the heart of it, we need 
whether it be for medical reasons that we need a person in there, we need somebody actually listening to lungs, just doing a full exam, whether it be very specific on one body part or just doing the whole exam. And again, not just medically speaking, but again, just having that person in there, somebody physically checking up on you, that human connection, I think is just integral and can it be replaced? Sure. Is it going to be as good? I don't think so. I don't think it'll ever be as good as having a person in there to treat patients. All the relational things that you get and the human touch, those are a big deal. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we're talking about people that are really vulnerable and socially isolated. I think there's also an element, which is the softer thing that's hard to explain about, but just showing people that they're worth being known and valued. And that, you know, sort of when highly trained professional like yourself leaves sort of the comfort zone of the medical facility, goes out to their home. It's a real special way of showing somebody that they're cared for and that they're worth something. And I think that means a lot on a human level. Absolutely. That you're not there just for their medical needs, but them as a whole person, their mental, emotional, them as a whole being. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. And all that said, people that do this type of work, like you and your colleagues, they don't grow on trees. And it's a highly valuable person and scarce resource. I think we will, as a system, have to make sure that we do home visitation when that's going to create value and going to be impactful. And that when some type of technology supported encounter, can make an impact that we also use that over time, figuring out the right dose of care through the front door and care through the iPhone is going to continue to be something we've got to work on. So I'm sure anybody who has listened to any of this conversation is probably thinking, I need to know how to get Emily or one of her colleagues to my home or one of my loved ones home if things turn a certain way. How does somebody get to be a patient of yours or the team? Well, there's certainly good old Google. You can just go online and look up home care in your area. There must be other visiting services as well. VPS, part of VNA does, I believe, nine counties throughout New Jersey. And that reminds me, right. So here in New Jersey, where you and I are based, you know, just looking up VNA Health Group, or visiting physician services within the Parker Advanced Care Institute, that will get you to the right place. And then nationally, you reminded me that one of the great groups is American Academy of Home Care Medicine, or AAHCM. And I believe they still maintain a directory of home visiting primary care providers throughout the country. So that might be a way to get that type of care I mean, there are some hospitals and health systems that have some home-based care initiatives. So hopefully, if you're listening and you need it, you'll be able to find it. And also, Emily, thank you so much. It has been an incredible honor to spend time with you. You're doing incredible work. I hope that you continue to find joy and fulfillment because the community needs what you're doing so badly and is so important. And congratulations on the impact that you've made. Thanks so much. Thank you, Dr. Landers. The honor is mine. Thanks for listening to the Moving Healthcare Forward podcast. 
and don't forget to leave us a five-star review. And if you're interested in making an impact, check out VNA Health Group's job opportunities at vnahg.org careers. You can also email us at talentacquisition at vnahg.org.